Here's a news flash. Surprise, surprise. Well, look at you. The whole world is watching for my next move. Oh my God. Times have changed. There are no rules. You're gonna love it. Hi, and welcome to Skip Intro, the podcast from Binge, all about the world's best television. Each week, we're here to discuss the biggest new shows on Binge, along with our dinner party recommendations, those shows we're just desperate to talk to somebody about. My name is John Bowen, here with Ali Herbert Burns, and together we look after all the great TV and movies that you see on Binge. Ali, great to see you. We've got a few things to talk about today, but before we jump into it... I've got a confession. I haven't done all my homework this week, John. I haven't watched one of the new shows that's coming to Binge. Do you have an excuse though, Ali? It's because I've been watching so many other things because I've just come back from LA and the pilot kind of screening season, which I really want to tell everyone about all the cool things we've seen, except part of the reason of this podcast is to talk about shows everyone can watch and all the pilots we've just seen in LA won't be coming on to binge for a few more months. So that's my excuse. I've been watching lots of stuff. It's just not the stuff you told me to watch this week. That's okay. For those of us who were very jealous and didn't get to travel to LA and who might not be familiar with the whole concept of the LA screenings, what's the deal, Ali? Well, it's really interesting. And this screenings was the first one that's been had for a few years because of COVID and the fact that people haven't been able to travel. But back in the olden days where you had just television networks, you didn't have all these streaming companies, you used to have quite a defined TV season. And what would happen is the studios and the channels would make a pilot of a show. You'd go and watch the pilot. They'd put kind of lots of money into the pilot. And if the pilot was received well, then that show would get picked up and they'd make some episodes. And the LA screenings was always kind of the kickoff of that process because it was when the programmers from all the individual channels would stand up and say, here's the shows that we're thinking are going to make our schedule that would then kick off in the American fall. So after American summer, you come back and in September, all these shows start coming through on your television. And as international buyers, we would go and see all that shown and you decide what you kind of wanted to buy or if you already had relationships with studios, a really good insight into what you might get. Flash forward uh, to 2022 and there's new shows dropping all the time. Monday, Thursday, Wednesday, Sunday. Sometimes they drop all at once. Sometimes they drop once a week. Sometimes they drop two a week and dribble out over the subsequent weeks. We all know the emerging landscape that TV watching has become. So the LA screenings this year was interesting because whilst you still had um, a lot of the traditional networks put up their fare and what we can expect to see and things that we might buy. But there was also lots of different platforms sharing their content as well. And the other really cool thing, John, this time was, which was a first for Binge, is our first Binge original, Love Me, has been sold to America. It's been sold to the streaming platform Hulu over there. So we got to catch up with the Hulu guys and talk about how that was going over in America, which was cool. But we also have another Binge original that we've just finished filming in Sydney, We haven't really talked about this on the podcast yet and we'll be making some announcements soon about it, but it's called Colin from Accounts. Really great story of about the forming of an unlikely couple, a girl and a guy who meet in unexpected circumstances on the street in Sydney. But that show, we've got some international partners on it. And so that was actually screened in LA on one of the big studio lots for buyers like we normally go to these markets and buy, but for the buyers from all around the world, from America and Latin America and Europe to watch our show. So it was a pretty cool experience getting to see a binge original on a big studio American lot and and listen to buyers who thankfully laughed in all the right places and, and our Australian humour seemed to connect. So um, yeah, we were there buying shows, we were there selling our shows and getting a really good sense of um, what we can expect to see in TV in the next few months. Well, it's very exciting. Glad to have you back though. Should we talk about our two new shows this week? Yes, we've got 
the show I haven't seen yet. So I would love maybe to use rather than us both talking about the show is maybe you can. I'll just, me, I'll just sell it to you. T- sell it to me. Tell me all about it, which is called Irma Vep, which is a new drama we've got. And the other one is a HBO documentary about the infamous American comedian, George Carlin, which we'll also talk about. And I did a party, Rex, of course. Awesome. Well, let's head to France for Irma Vep. I'm so sick of being the superhero. But blockbusters let you make movies you love. I'll be Irma Vep. This is the part she's been dying to play. What matters is staying sane. Based on the 1996 film of the same name, Irma Vep follows a Hollywood star tired of appearing in superhero films who heads to Paris for the remake of a 1916 French silent film. Starring Academy Award winner Alicia Vikander, it's a remake of a film about remaking a film. So Ali, sounds slightly confusing, but it all comes together very, very easily as you watch the series. There was this film in 1996. This 2022 series is a remake of that film. And the series is about this Hollywood actress who heads to Paris to remake this old French film. The old French film is a real film, and that film is called The Vampires. Mm -hmm. So she's kind of like a Hollywood starlet. She's doing all these big action films, but she wants to do something arty, something more pure to acting or a challenge. So she goes off to Paris and does something, yeah? The show kicks off, and she's on the sort of final leg of her press tour of what's sort of an Avengers-style film. So she's gone through this, like, commercial rigmarole of selling this big global hit and then she moves into production of this sort of indie art house French film. Some of it is sort of a culture clash with the French director and the producers and everything that's happening on the ground shooting this remake so they're trying to be very careful about it Um, but then also what happens is she's obviously going through something and she kind of starts to inhabit the character and like proper method acting kind of thing. (laughs) Well you're not sure if it's method or what's happening but it's sort of a thriller it's also sort of a commentary on like the energy entertainment industry and how everything's just a commercialized product that's getting spat out. And it's fascinating. I think if you have any interest in film, you will absolutely love this. But equally, I went into this, A, having not seen the 1996 film and B, having never heard of the over 100-year-old French film. So you can still go into it without any of that knowledge. I've no doubt there's a bunch of film buffs who will absolutely love the extra layer of all this that comes together. So as I mentioned, Academy Award winner stars in the film. She was in The Danish Girl, wasn't she? That's what she won the Oscar for. Won the Oscar for The Danish Girl, also was in Tomb Raider and a bunch of other things. So all set in France. And I've watched the first four episodes and I would say maybe 10% of it is subtitles. 90% of it still in English, but beautifully shot in and around Paris. It just premiered at the Cannes Film Festival, which doesn't happen every day for a, for a TV series, no, especially. It's, it's so, called the Cannes um, Film Festival, but I suppose if it's yeah, about a film, that's how it's it got about in. A film. Okay. But I think it kind of speaks to like the quality and tone and everything that did premiere at the, at the Cannes Film Festival. Mm. Uh, just the other thing I would point out is the producers behind it. This is maybe not a consumer brand that a lot of people have heard of, but it's made by A24. Mm-hmm. And if you know A24, you know they make sure shows like Euphoria and they make films like Moonlight and everything everywhere all at once. So again, it's got this like great indie art house, but still really accessible pedigree. Awesome. I really liked it. And Irma Vep, of course, is a anagram for vampire, which is um, where the name comes from. Hopefully I've sold it to you and maybe in a f- few weeks time, it'll be your dinner party recommendation, e- either on the podcast or, you know, at an actual, actual dinner, dinner party. party. No, I'm going to yeah. watch it. Remind me next week when we catch up and I can let you know what I think. Irma Vep starts on Tuesday, June 7th, and it is eight episodes, and they're rolling out weekly. Who would have thought that you would end up working with him? Renee, this process can be confusing. 
George Carlin's American Dream is a new two-part documentary from HBO about the life and legacy of comedian George Carlin. Produced by Judd Apatow and featuring interviews with Chris Rock, Stephen Colbert, Jerry Seinfeld, John Stewart, Patton Oswalt, and more. It's a loving but honest look at an artist who continued to evolve over his career. I began this dream of standing in front of people and having their attention. What I really was, was a rebel. Can't educate our young people, can't get health care to our old people, but we can bomb the shit out of your country, all right? Ali, I definitely knew the name George Carlin. I knew the face George Carlin, but I was certainly embarrassingly did not know the sort of long history and huge influence that he had. Were you familiar with him? I was familiar with him, but the same thing from you as like a bit of a counterculture, profound things that were said. I did not know how long he'd been a comedian and how early his career had started and how successful in almost lots of different acts of his life, hadn't he? Like kind of started up in a very clean cut 1950s early television way and then became like when you watch this documentary and you see the things that he was saying in the 90s and, you know, kind of major moments in recent pop culture, he just seems so profound. And to know that he died in 2008 before so much of the craziness of the last decade has happened, like you just think, oh, what would he be saying now about the state of politics and COVID, COVID, (laughs) guns, you know, just so many different things. So one of the things I was familiar about him was the seven dirty words he can't say on television that he sort of made very famous because he was pushing back against the FCC in America because he was getting in trouble for saying certain things, but then they wouldn't tell him what he can't say. And, you know, it ended up getting to the Supreme Court or something. It was a case, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, where he was like, actually, what's what's wrong with these words? Children aren't going to go out and commit crimes just because they hear, you know, the F word on television or something. So he really, you know, pushed at the limits of, especially at the time, he'd been working for so long, he really pushed at the limits at what was acceptable. And that was kind of, I guess, one of his more famous acts, I guess, was these seven things you can't say on on television. I also will not be saying them on, on this podcast. But that's what's really interesting, isn't it, now with what's happening even with the Roe versus Wade debate in America and this almost this sense of rolling back of rights that period that it just established like yeah you just bank is never changing um and the idea now that you know abortion will be you know can become illegal in certain u.s states what's next will that affect gay marriage will other affect other rights that we fought for and have been kind of evolved over the last kind of 20 30 years and then to i mean to have this come out in a week where you've had just another tragic american shooting school shooting and the way he talked about gun rights you know and just the honesty and the way it kind of cuts through and there's almost a timelessness to some of what he said. Like so much comedy is often like in the moment or something that's happening in the news cycle, but he was actually talking about kind of fundamental human motivations and insights that have amazingly just seem as he could have said them yesterday and they would still be cutting through. So I can understand how he has influenced so many comedians. I think it was maybe Chris Rock that said it, but it was one of the contributors who said something along the lines of, you know, for so much of, you know, human civilization, we've looked to philosophers and talked about philosophers. And these days we look to comedians Mm. and he kind of did feel that role in having something to say about the moment in time that we were living that has now long transcended him because people are still quoting him and sharing videos of him and all that. So he kind of, maybe that's where the countercultural icon and hero comes from because he was really brave, wasn't he? Like he just had such a way of cutting through. It was really interesting that he certainly didn't rest on his laurels. You know, if there was ever a point in his career where he felt like he wasn't 
connecting with the audience or that he was in a bit of a slump. He was just like, no, I'm going to do the hard work mm. to make sure that I, you know, he would see up and coming comedians and be like, nope, I'm not going to get lapped by them. I'm going to still stay relevant. So he did kind of have to reinvent and evolve himself. And, you know, a lot of comedians get put in a corner or get typecast for having one type of joke or one type of thing. And you can really see over his career how his humor and comedy and thinking sort of evolved mm -hmm. so yeah it's just it's a fascinating portrait of a person and an artist and and it really goes into his back history it talks about his family his relationship with his father his mother's journey his marriage and marrying young and just having a really interesting life as well it really goes into a lot of detail that was probably motivating him and this yeah maybe that's where the fearlessness came from it's really interesting insight into someone that talked about American culture over such a long period of time and I think you get that sense of it also Judd Apatow's done this hasn't he yeah produced by Judd Apatow like you said so many special guests Bette Midler Jerry Seinfeld Chris Rock yeah really cool people that are also interviewed in, in this as well and both episodes of George Carlin's American Dream are streaming now on Binge George is still relevant. He changed comedy three or four times, and he's still talking to us. Things that he was getting at were so profound to the culture. What would you do if you were the planet trying to defend against this pesky species? Oh, viruses. Bullshit is the glue that binds us as a nation. It's the American dream, because you have to be asleep to believe it. Dinner Party Recommendations, part of the podcast, John, where we talk about our favourite things on Binge. I've got lots of things to talk about, not just one this week, but you go first. What's your Dinner Party Rec? I didn't expect to have such a strong reaction to the thing that I watched because I just clicked on it because of the, like, post-off. It is a Sucker. documentary. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? <laughs> Don't judge a book by its cover. <laughs> Without getting, maybe George Collins inspired me, without getting, you know, too um, self-reflective or dramatic, I would say that one of my like core tenants as a human is television. I think I'm very lucky that I get to work in something that I'm genuinely passionate about is, you know, as part of my being. And I would say, not jokingly, that another like core tenant of who I am as a person and this is going to sound silly, is the fact that I grew up in Canberra. Yes. I would say growing up in Canberra has influenced a lot about my life. And I watched this documentary and it is called Our Town from HBO. Mm -hmm. um, and basically it looks at these six small towns in America, what the towns do when they confront issues and how the communities work together and what makes a sort of a resilient town. And sorry, this documentary is ba actually based on a book and it's based on a lot of research. Mm -hmm. um, and one of the bits of research they found, a lot of people do have to leave towns for many reasons, but what they found in their research is that usually people actually want to return to where they're from yeah. or they want to find somewhere that they have an equal emotional connection to where they feel like they can contribute. Um, and I jokingly say to my friends and you all the time, like, you know, one day I want to go back to Canberra or, you know, why can't? Canberra have a TV industry or <laughs> that kind of thing because you want to like make the place you're from better yeah. um, and it can be in really small ways um, or you know it can be in really big ways. The universal themes like how many movies are about people going home for their school reunion or you know yeah going to the big smoke failing or being pulled home for some reason and realizing that everything they've been looking for is at home like they're 
Yeah, there's such a lovely element here that you're tapping into. It's also beautifully shot, which is one of the appeals. Like one of the town is this like small, like lobster town, mm -hmm. you know, that relies on this seasonal thing. Uh, they actually, they um, vary from about a thousand, a town of a thousand up to like hundreds of thousands. So there's all these reasons that towns do die but what they did was they tried to look at what makes towns flourish mm. um and obviously one of the things well the obvious thing that makes a town flourish is like having an economy <laughs> but outside of that they identified three things which i found fascinating and those three things were public art mm -hmm. so a town that has public art because it shows that it has pride in itself it shows that it has an identity and you know investing in art is something you don't have to do mm -hmm. the second thing was a genuine local media mm -hmm. you know there are these small towns that have flourishing medias and they one of the examples they give is like if you know one of the reporters is talking about like if i'm not in a council meeting for this small town like cnn's not going to cover it but who knows what's will come out of that council mm -hmm. meeting that's really important to the people that live in that town mm -hmm. um so yeah public art media and the third one which i found was hilarious but again, really spoke to me. A good pup. <laughs> Towns that have breweries. Breweries. Yeah, yeah. Cool. so okay. they found that a brewery was a really good sign of a healthy small community because it meant that, you, you know, it meant you had an economy. Mm -hmm. um, it meant that you were employing people, but it also meant that you were likely to have young people in that community. So a community that's not attracting or keeping young people obviously isn't going to survive. Yeah. So they found that uh, the brewery, uh, local media and public art were kind of the three things that you needed to hopefully have a flourishing sort of small community. Well, there you go. I don't know if Canberra has a brewery, but... Um... Canberra has multiple breweries. When I left Canberra about 10 years ago, there were zero breweries. Yeah. Now there's like four or five. Yeah, wow. We don't want to give the whole show away, John, but I love yes. your impassioned plea on that. Yeah. How, is there one episode per town or is it like a long doco or what's the structure? No, so it's it's just a one about two hour documentary. It flies through really quickly on top of just being really interesting. It's just beautifully shot yeah, because cool. you're seeing parts of America that you just don't don't normally well, see. Now I'm going to watch this as well. So I've got two shows off the back of this week. Thank you. People wanted to talk about their town. What we saw, how towns rise and fall, has a lot to say to our world right now. Almost every place we went, people said the U.S. is really in horrible shape, but here. Things are really moving ahead. Well, mine's quite different. Like lots of Australians across the country this week or last weekend, and it sounds like a lot of people around the world in the last few days, I was lucky enough while I was in LA to see the new Top Gun, Top Gun Maverick, um, which highly recommend, but it got me thinking about Tom Cruise. So on Binge, and we've seen this in the last week or two as people have been getting excited about the new Top Gun, um, that the 1986 original Top Gun um, has been one of the most watched movies of the last few weeks. Um, but we've also got a, a Binge Centre uh, full of Tom Cruise films and about 20 or 30 films, I think, for across his career from the Mission Impossibles to Minority Report to Edge of Tomorrow, brilliant film, um, Magnolia, A Few Good Men, Far and Away, uh, Jerry Maguire, Risky Business. So if you're a Tom Cruise fan, will you come back from the center in the next few weeks inspired by Tom Cruise after kind of reigniting your Top Gun memories, um, you can go down a Tom Cruise Hall of Fame. I watched uh, Top Gun for the first time very recently. What? So I was, I'm one of these people that That's um, a whole has segment. been what did you shooting Top Gun up the charts. How did you know watch it growing up as a kid? Are you going to tell I me you haven't I... seen Dirty Dancing either? 
Do we have to have like I, an 80s recently. like deep dive for John? What happened? Pro- probably. Did you wonder why people like beach volleyball? Why, you know, like <laughs> well, there were all these other like aviator sunglasses, all these things for the last 30 years that you didn't kind of. <laughs> Such a big thing that you can have not seen it and still the iconography have, you know, and yeah just yeah. cuts through culture doesn't it what did you think john watching it i really liked it and much like binge subscribers i i want to go see the movie because i've heard great things really and fun. of course it was really good i felt compelled to watch watch the original so i will hopefully be seeing the new one soon so john yes while you wait for the new top gun that's in cinemas at the moment to come to binge in a few months time the original top gun of course is now streaming on binge I'm going to send you up against the best. Yes, sir. You two characters are going to Top Gun. I feel the need. The need for speed. Thanks so much for listening. This week on Skip Intro, we talked about Irma Vep. We discussed George Carlin's American Dream. I suggested that you check out the HBO documentary Our Towns and Ali suggested you visit Top Gun along with Tom Cruise's wide filmography, which is also streaming on Binge. You can, of course, find Binge on your favourite device. I'm John Boehm, joined every week by Ali Herbert Burns. Uh, This podcast was produced by Dan Barrett with audio editing and mixing by Christy Yates and we'll be back next week.